May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. They were in the house and the doors were locked. It's our best defense, isn't it? The locks on the doors, we all have them. They provide us a a modicum of security and, and peace of mind. If you ever been to a third world country, you might notice that uh, many people in, in those sort of countries have bars on their windows as well. Um, bars on the windows to keep out the bad guys, but always, no matter where you are, locks on the doors. In the Western world, we've become a little bit more sophisticated with technology. So instead of bars on our windows, maybe uh, a surveillance, you know, electronic security system, sort of um, keeping an eye on the place when we uh, otherwise might be a little bit worried about it. And so um, not literal uh, bars on the windows, but electronic ones, you know, brought to you by ADT. I thought about this sermon this morning being brought to you by ADT, you know, the, the name and home security, uh, stop crime before it happens. I, I thought maybe I would, like, license my um, sermons to, like, independent companies and drop a little, you know, product placement in there, further the college fund and all that sort of thing. But anyway, we have these ways of, of keeping ourselves safe, don't we? Because we know, we know we're vulnerable. We know that we're vulnerable, and we know that there are people out there People who will exploit our, our vulnerability. People who want to exploit that vulnerability. And we know that we are never more susceptible to malfeasance than when we're asleep. We can't see them coming. We don't know. And so we lock the doors. We police on the streets, locks on the doors, surveillance systems or bars on the window, whatever we need to do. We know that we can protect ourselves and then, and then we can rest. Finally, we can rest. We're safe. Or maybe not so safe. Depends on where you are. Perhaps you heard the story of this young woman, Sarah McKinley. 18 years old, um, was married, had a three-month-old little boy near Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, um, back in 2011. Unfortunately, her young husband developed an aggressive form of cancer, and on Christmas Day 2011, he passed away. So here she was, this young woman, 18 years old, with a little three-month-old baby boy, and all by herself. A couple days after her husband passed away, a young man, about 24 years old, stopped by her home, said he was a neighbor, that he was just checking in to make sure everything was okay. Sarah felt like there was something wrong about the guy, so she thanked him for his kindness, but she didn't let him into her home. A couple nights later, New Year's Eve, 2011, just seven days after her husband passed away, she's at home, it's, it's in the evening, uh, the doors are locked, she's watching television, she's holding on to her little three-month-old baby, and she hears somebody messing with her front door, like they're trying to open it. She peeks out the window, and the same young man that had stopped by a few days earlier was out there with a friend, another man was with him, had a large hunting knife in his hand and was trying to get into the front door of her home. So Sarah ran, did two things, grabbed the baby in a bottle and her 12-gauge shotgun and went back to the bedroom and locked the door. She set the baby down, stuck a bottle in his mouth and dialed 911. She got a hold of the operator, she told him what was going on, and she says to the, the 911 operator, she says, um, if he comes through the door, do I have permission to shoot him? The operator tells, him and I, tells her, and I quote, I can't tell you that you can do that, But do what you have to to protect your baby. Seconds later, um, this this man, uh, Justin Martin, kicks in the bedroom door. And Sarah's in the corner 
holding her 12-gauge shotgun and a pistol in the other hand, and she, um, she did what she had to. She opened fire on this young man, and she killed him in the, the doorway of her bedroom. His accomplice took off and ran, and later they caught up with him and arrested him and put him in, in jail. But Sarah did what she had to do. Sometimes locks on the door are not enough. When I first heard that story, I remember right when it happened, I was really impressed with this young woman's wherewithal, that she gathered up her baby as she um, grabbed the shotgun, she headed to the back. She did everything she could to avoid the conflict. She put the bottle in the baby's mouth so that the baby would stop crying and kind of you know, not disclose their location. She dialed 911 very calmly while she had um, herself in the corner where she could be you know, most protected. And I thought, you know, it would be difficult not to empathize with her situation. I mean, think about this. This young woman, a new mother, 18 years old, a newly widowed woman, with a young child, and then her life and the life of her baby are in mortal danger, and she has the wherewithal to, to put herself in the safest place and ultimately to defend herself. I thought to myself, they must grow pretty tall in Oklahoma. You know, this is a, this is a pretty uh, put-together young woman. Pretty easy to empathize with her situation. She did the only thing she could when locks on the door were not enough. In the gospel lesson this morning, Jesus' friends are holed up in a home with the doors locked. They're, they're locked in. And you have to remember, this is, the, this is the very first Easter Sunday, but it's late in the evening. And you know the story. You know that Jesus has risen early in the morning. His friends do not. They don't know that he's re- resurrected from the grave. What they know is that just a couple of days ago on Friday, Jesus had been arrested. He had been tried. He had been beaten and then crucified, executed, and was dead in the tomb. And you know how government works in situations like this, don't you? Get the ringleader and then work your way out in concentric circles. Get the generals, get the lieutenants. Last of all, get the lower level people who are involved in the movement. Jesus' 11 friends know where they are in those concentric circles. They know that they're going to be next. And their families are going to be next. And so here they are, holed up in this home, doors locked, expecting at any moment... There's going to be a knock at the door and the Gestapo are going to be out there. Look at the text with me, will you? You have the gospel there with you? At the very first verse, verse 19, John writes, When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews. Now, you know, of course, when John says Jews, he doesn't mean Jews as in ethnic Jewish people. John himself is a Jew. All the disciples were Jews. Jesus is a Jew. Every person almost in the Gospels that is mentioned, save for a few, are Jewish. John doesn't mean people who are ethnically Jewish. He means the Jewish government leaders, particularly those who were in cahoots with the Romans at that time. These are the ones who are out to get Jesus and his his friends, to to stop this movement. The reason that the disciples are holed up in this house is because they're fearful, not of vandals. They're fearful of the police. They're afraid that they too are going to be arrested, tried, convicted, and executed. 
But then look back at the text. The, something happens and it turns the whole story on its head. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Wait, 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 just a second. Now, I don't think I missed anything there. I mean, there was a comma, but even in the original, there's no comma. It just goes from one thing to the next, right? When the doors are locked, people are kept outside. Jesus was not inside the room when the doors were locked. And yet, suddenly, there he is in the middle of the room. He's in the midst of them. John is telling us something has happened in the resurrection that's significant. Something very significant has happened. And in fact, I went through the Gospels and I noticed that each of them, in a different way, said the same thing. In Mark's Gospel, Jesus, uh, after the resurrection, appears on a country road where a disciple, two of his friends are walking down the road. And he, he appears to them, and Mark says this in Mark 16, After these things, Jesus appeared, listen to this, in another form. In heteromorphe is what he says. Morphe, where we get um, like... Uh, uh, transform or uh, metamorphosis we, you know, from one form to another. Jesus shows up in another form. In Matthew's Gospel, G, uh, the, 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 the women go to the tomb early in the morning, you remember this? And there's an earthquake and the stone is removed whilst they're walking to the, to the, sto- to the tomb as if to say that Jesus has already resurrected, exited the tomb without the stone having been moved away. As if to say, further still, that the stone was rolled away, not for the sake of Jesus to exit the tomb, but so that the women who approached it could see that it was empty. Now that's really interesting. One more. In Luke's Gospel, uh, 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 on the first day of the week, the same day, there are two disciples, presumably the same story that Mark tells us about, walking down the country road from, from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And Jesus appears along the way and begins to talk to them. Luke writes this in, in chapter 24. He says, That day, that Sunday, uh, the disciples were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking to each other about the things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But listen to this. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Now this is kind of a, a, a awkward way to put it uh, grammatically. They didn't see him. There was something about him that caused them not to recognize him. All of this to say that while Jesus was bodily resurrected, he had a physical bodily uh, body uh, that was resurrected. It wasn't like a, a ghost or a spirit or a phantasm. It was physical, tangible. He was touched, you remember. Something has changed. Something has changed that allows him to do things that are metaphysically impossible for us. Resurrection demands some new metaphysic. Something changes. Before his death, Jesus is hung on a cross. Before his death, he is, he's beaten, he's chained, he's imprisoned. But after his death, he can show up in a place, after his death and resurrection, he can show up somewhere without seemingly having to have to walk there. He can enter into a, a room that's closed. He can, he can be in a place where people don't recognize him. He even, in, in Luke's Gospel, vanishes before someone's sight while they're talking with him. Something has changed. And you say, well, that's, that's fascinating, but... What does that mean to us? I mean, so what? Where does, where does that leave us? Well, just one moment on that. I want you to think about the whole story of the Bible. 
And you're like, wow, that's, that's really big. I mean, this is a pretty big book, right? The whole story of the Bible. I'm going to give it to you very quickly. God creates everything that is, and he creates it very good. It, it, is, it is morally and in every other way perfect. In Hebrew, and you look through chapter 1, the word good, a, a moral connotation, appears seven times. And on the seventh time, it's miotov, it's very good. And this is really important in Hebrew literature. Seven times, seven is a perfect number. Good, 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 very good. I don't know if I got all seven in, but you know what I'm trying to do, right? It's the, the creation is very good. And guess where humans are in the creation? They're at the very top. They're at the apex, the pinnacle. You got another synonym? They're way up here on top of the creation. You and I were created to be the very best things in God's created order. And you would think that would be enough. But no. You get... Three, get the third chapter in, and what do humans want to do? They want to be God. They want to be gods. And so they, they, it, all this goodness that's around them, not enough. And sin enters into the equation. And guess what happens in chapter 4? Brother murders brother. You go from at the very top, the very pinnacle of creation, to two pages later, a brother is murdering his brother because he's jealous. It's like the, the, the slipperiest, most, most fast-declining slope that you could imagine. And the rest of the story is God trying to rescue his creation. To save it back, to bring it back. Okay, so we get here to Jesus. He has resurrected from the grave. He has become a, 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 new, um, a new being. There, there's something about him that is so radically different that he's not like the old order. If you got up and tried to walk out of this door right here, don't do it. But if you did, and you didn't push on that, that handle, you could not get through it. There's something about your body that, that is you know, impermeable to solid material. You could try, but you will not get through there. And yet Jesus does. He appears, he, he shows up in places where he's... And then he says this to the disciples. Look back at the text with me, will you? Verse 21. Jesus says to his friends, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. They are holed up in a house. The doors are locked. They're fearing for their lives. And Jesus says, I need to send you out. <laughs> you, know, you know what they say? Go get your own pizza. I'm not leaving this house, right? I'm not, I'm not going out of here for anything. But I'm sending you out. And then he breathes on them. He breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. I can only find one other place. Now, there might be another. You can look. I can only find one other place in the Bible where this same verb, breathe on, is used. And it shows up in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust of the earth, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. This is new creation stuff. God created us. He created everything that is, put us at the top of it, and we said, not good enough. We would rather be gods like you. And our decision brought all kinds of horrible ramifications. We brought murder and and injustice and cruelty into the world because we thought it would be more important to be God than it would be to be 
the creation and brought all sort of of evil into the world and you know what God does he doesn't throw us up he doesn't crumble us up like like I do bad sermon ideas and throw them in the trash and you're like I don't know if you've thrown those away yeah I did you know you should see what's in the garbage you know so he doesn't do that at all he makes a rescue plan to come after us to save us to bring us back I'm going to redo this creation I know this is complicated. I know it's heady. I know it's like big theology, real big stuff to get our minds around. But I want, you to, I want you to imagine this. For just a moment, you're in charge of the world. No, you're not in charge of American politics or your business or anything. You're in charge of the whole world. And you can make anything happen you want to make happen. Anything. The whole world is in your, in your power. What would you do? First thing you do is give your rector a raise. But no. The second thing you would do right after that is you would stop any child from ever dying of starvation, wouldn't you? No reason 18,000 children need to die in this world of starvation every day. You would stop that. Done. You'd make sure that everybody had water to drink and Medicine, you, you, would, you would change things so that there would be no more people who had violence in their heart and hatred towards one another. Theft wouldn't happen anymore. There'd be no more reason to steal. People would share. You would so change the world that we wouldn't even need bombs and tanks and fighter jets. They would be so superfluous as they're just sitting around gathering dust. You'd probably, you'd probably take them and have them melted down and turned into farm machinery and houses. You would, you would make this world the kind of world that God wanted it to be in the first place. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing. He's telling his friends, new creation has begun right now. With his resurrection, new creation has begun. Whew. Receive the Holy Spirit. Get out of here and go make it happen. He tells that to them. And he tells it to us. But we can only do it in the power of the Spirit. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.